This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Morning, everybody. Happy day 574 of nationwide strike action of one sort or another. And welcome to the News Agenda with me, Fleet Street Fox. And today I'm joined by Britain's longest serving political reporter, Nigel Nelson, who writes for both the Sunday Mirror and Sunday People. Morning, Nigel. Morning, Susie. Thank you for joining us on your day off yet again. You must enjoy it here. <laughs> it's always uh, fun <laughs> <laughs> now this is the people's pay-per-view so get into the comments ask us your questions we'll do our best to answer them for you those of you listening later on podcast will just have to scream at the picket lines instead so what have we got today well the mirror couldn't decide what to splash on it did decide not to go big on the fact the nation's driving examiners have gone out on strike today because that's not terribly exciting unless it was the day for your test but the front page has a 50 50 split between prince harry and rishi sunak who both gave tv interviews yesterday and were both a bit kind of a head scratcher really so above the fold, as we say in the trade, is the Royal Rebel, who now says he never claimed his family were racist, which will be news to most of us who watched that Oprah Winfrey interview in which he and his wife quite clearly said there were discussions about their son's skin colour among the royals before he was born. And Meghan then told Oprah that that decision to not give Archie a title was linked to his mother's ethnicity. Now, Nigel, inside the paper on pages two and three, Harry goes into more detail and says his family may have unconscious bias. But last time I checked, Nigel, if you judge someone by their skin colour, consciously or otherwise, it's a racist act, even if there's no racist intent. I mean, if he thinks his family's not racist and he's so big on pointing out media inaccuracies, why, when every newspaper in the world was screaming royal racists on their front pages why didn't harry put out a statement saying no they're not yes absolutely um what i thought thought happened last night in the tom Bradby interview was that uh, harry was much more articulate than he was in either the opera interview uh, or his netflix series and that might have something to do with not having megan beside him interrupting all the time um, so when he talks about unconscious bias, I did have some sympathy with that. I think that uh, there's a danger we can all be guilty of that, and because it's unconscious, we don't know we're doing it. Yeah. Um, so what he, but, but the whole, but what was so peculiar was this was obviously the situation when uh, it first came up in the opera interview, and it's difficult to understand why he didn't actually say this then. Um, I mean, I have to, to admit, opera seemed to be totally outraged by the by the admission that they were talking about how the, the kids might turn out. Mm. Um, but it did seem to me at the time, I thought, well, hang on, is that actually racism? Um, 
And Harry should have said something at the time. He should have mentioned the fact that there is unconscious bias. Say what he said last night, um, that when you have uh, families where one is white and one uh, one partner's white and one isn't, these conversations may well go on. Um, So at, at the time, I didn't think that it was necessarily racism. But obviously, that depends on your view about whether you think unconscious bias is racism. Mm, exactly there is that and I suppose while there might be lots of discussions about um you know if there's if one of your family's married a ginger whether the baby's going to be ginger and if your child has married someone who's mixed race like Megan you know how pale or dark their skin might be to discuss it shows you might be concerned about it that you, you don't want a grandchild who's ginger for example um and the thing that megan said was that it affected the choice of whether or not her son had a title now it later turned out that that wasn't quite how royal titles worked and she was mistaken in that or she was wrong but that was a the the racist element was and harry said as well that it was linked to his security discussions with his family and his argument was that it you know it, it made his, his security situation worse. So, but you don't have that in average families, do you? That the discussions about skin colour or hair colour or anything else might be linked to whether or not we pay for security for them. Um, that's the difference, I suppose, with this family, isn't it? That when they have discussions that are normal for other families, perhaps, they've got whole different connotations inside royalty. Yeah, and and that's something else that wasn't actually uh, explained last night, that Harry kept saying that the reason he left Britain was because he didn't think he and his family were safe. Um, Now, I understand he's lost his security because he's walked away from the royal family. So that might be a problem uh, if he comes back to Britain. But when he made the choice to leave, he still had security because he was a member of the royal family. So um, Tom Brabby didn't push him on this. What did he mean about the fact that that he didn't think his family was safe? I don't quite get that. Now, quite clearly, if um, uh, if the race issue did affect the kind of security he got, and I can't believe that would be true, Um, but if it did, that would be racism. So I I think there are so many different degrees degrees here, and of course, you're absolutely right, Susie, this is not not what you call a normal family. Um, I mean, they're more dysfunctional than most most normal families anyway, but uh, the whole whole thing there is that there are um, a knock-on effect of, of everything that happens within the royal family. But when it comes down to to this whole thing about just simply discussing how children will turn out, that doesn't seem to me to be particularly racist. Um, But as as I said before, Harry should have said this at the time, or as you you say, if what was said was misunderstood, he should have put out a statement at the time clarifying it. Yeah, there's There's no reason that he couldn't have done it. He's got a press operation. If he disagreed with that, he could say, you know, maybe I did say it to Oprah, but it just got cut in the edit. Um, this is what I actually think. Instead of just leaving it to hang there, which is what happened. Now, Rich says, there's a lack of consistency with Harry's narrative. It's kind of like he hadn't fully worked out his backstory and is flanging all over the place. There's definitely some inconsistencies, Rich. Um but who knows? You know, if you come back and ask any of us the same questions over and over again about the same things, we might say slightly different versions as we go through it, and then you get a fuller picture at the end. But who knows? Blanche says perhaps realizes he's gone too far and is desperately trying to backpedal. That's definitely the uh, the spin that the mirrors put on it this morning. But we'll have to see, won't we? Now keep asking us your questions. 
Do you remember the Oprah interview? What do you think Harry was talking about in that? Was it something other than racism? Did the media get it all wrong? Did we misunderstand? Do let us know. Um, but further in, on pages four and five, it's revealed that Prince William is burning with righteous fury, which might, you know, is to be expected probably. But he's still refusing to comment on any of these allegations about fighting, bullying, uh, and whether his pet name is really Willie. Now, Nigel, in your experience as a journalist of many years standing, is this sustainable, this kind of silence? Because if, if it goes on and on and they keep shtum, this just becomes the accepted version of events, doesn't it? And it gets repeated and then becomes a form of history in a way. So every time William and Kate do something, you know, with a, an anti-bullying charity, this gets raised again. Every time, you know, when at the coronation, the fact that Harry isn't going to be there, it's, it's going to get repeated. It's going to say, well, Harry wasn't there after allegations that, you know, if they don't say something, this just becomes carved in stone, doesn't it, to some extent? No, I think that's absolutely right. Um, uh, but uh, but again, it goes back to what you were saying. This is not a normal family. Um, and so what William can't do, he can't do a kind of uh, get into a uh, he said, I said, this happened, that happened. It is very difficult for him to actually respond. So, no, I don't think you'll ever get any kind of public response. You won't get any comment from uh, either Buckingham Palace or Kensington Palace. Probably what you will get is that William will try and correct the narrative, assuming the narrative needs correcting, uh, by using friends and different sources to put out his side of the case. But I don't think we can, we, we're in a situation whereby he can actually say something himself publicly. Mm. Um, I think one of the problems with this whole thing is that it's all very well for Harry to have a go at his brother and his father. Um, but if it just was a brother and a father, what you're talking about is when uh, is um, uh, Charles is now king. So what Harry is saying affects the whole situation of the monarchy it's a constitutional issue if you like and his brother is is the the heir to the throne so everything that harry says has implications for um us as a country and that's where the whole thing becomes difficult i'm sure that the palace will find a way of fighting back it just won't be terribly obvious like william sitting down and doing a similar interview no no what do you think, everybody? Do you think that William should be speaking out about this? I would have thought that in the palace right now, there would be wargaming, what different possible things they could say, what different possible ways it could be influenced and what might, where different outcomes they might have. They might be considering things like, you know, like the Queen used to do, saying something to a member of the public on a walkabout, which is very artfully sort of overheard by a conveniently close journalist, something like that. So they're not addressing anything publicly, but they've got some kind of a statement that they managed to issue, which will um, sort of cover some of it up. But let's not forget, Nigel, um, I'm old enough to remember 1991, 1992, when a certain prince of this parish wrote a book saying his parenting had absolutely screwed him up and was emotionally illiterate and, and made him terribly sad and depressed. And that prince was called Charles. And there was a kerfuffle when he did all that. Um, and he was the heir to the throne and he was writing about the queen. And it was said that he deeply upset her and his father. Um, and they still managed to, to struggle on for another 30 years together. Um, and some of the stuff that he wrote and that Diana wrote 
Harry's just kind of confirming, isn't he? This isn't unusual for royals to sort of talk about personal stuff like this. Uh, yeah, I think I think I think you're right. It's just it, it, it's probably the the difficulty the royal family has in their relationship with the uh, with the public and the media. Um, I mean, years ago, I used to be a royal correspondent, so I was dealing mostly with uh, the then Prince Charles, and quite clearly, he would have much rather that I wasn't actually around. However, he also appreciated that the that the royal family have to work with the media. I mean, part of the function of the royal family is to appear in public. And the only way that they can disseminate that is through press coverage. And that's something that I, that I found about last night's interview to be odd. I wish Tom Bradby had actually pressed Harry a bit, a bit further about when he was talking about um, this is part of a crusade to change the British media. I don't know what Harry means by that. Um, if he means that the royal family shouldn't work with the media, that is plainly absurd. Of mm. course, they've got to be able to do that. If he's talking about a fundamental change in how the British media operates, that's a whole different ball game, And we never actually found out quite what Harry was getting at. Well, you'll also be, you know, having to try to reverse 320 odd years of misbehaviour, which is going to be quite difficult, I would have thought, and part of the media. Um, and also, the, the, you can't have a media which the royal family approves of, because then the media's not doing its job, is it? I mean, the whole point, the whole point of what we do is to literally just be disapproved of to some extent, although, of course, to tell the truth, which is part of his problem, although it's the truth as he sees it rather than other people. Now, Keith says, everyone and their uncle is scrambling to comment on this. I am just amazed at how many members of the public know them both so intimately. It didn't stop previous royals that wrote books, thank you, Keith, and commented before. There are bigger problems in these islands than a bust up with the royals. Now, he's right, of course, isn't it? There's other more important things going on, which we're going to get to next. But the fact is that the royal family, I think, Nigel, it's like a, it's like it's almost like Big Brother. It's national entertainment, but also it's like a cipher for our own families. We watch what happens with them and we go, well, we've all had a sister-in-law like that. Or we've all we've all got a brother, <laughs> you know, and we kind of see connections with them because of what happens in our own family. And that is what keeps the monarchy going. The fact that they're relevant to us in our lives is why it's still there as an institution, because otherwise it's just dreadful. You wouldn't invent it tomorrow if you had to invent a system to, to be the head of state for a country. Um, so if they didn't have this press attention going over every detail of their lives, and, and that's how, Keith, everyone is commenting on it because they all feel that connection. If you didn't have that, you wouldn't have a royal family at all, would we? No, I think that's the, that, that's a very good point. That the that the whole thing is we've got two things going on here. We've got a family, and it's a family like others, and they have their disputes and their difficulties and their problems with each individual. Um, and of course, that the, the, the public is interested in that, and so it should be. And what is going on within the family is in the public interest, and that's because we actually have a constitutional monarchy. That our whole kind of political system is based on having a king as a head of state. Now, in a sense, that's an odd thing to have. It's something that's actually developed over, uh, what, a couple of thousand years, effectively. Um, but we, 
we, we, but because the we, we have a, a, a hereditary head of state, that we have a a royal be, being head of state rather than a president, there is a public interest in what that head of state and his family get up to, and so of course that strays into the personal. Now, what mm-hmm. um, what I think the the uh, the king would tell you if he was actually doing this broadcast rather than us. <laughs> um, You're welcome, Charles. Any day, <laughs> just give us a bell, mate. Yeah, but if he, if he was, what he would say is he'd like the two things to be separated. But, I mean, that's the ongoing problem. If you are somebody in the public eye, whether you're a politician, a celebrity, or a footballer, if you're going out there and, and uh, you are in front of the public, you've got to expect the public to be interested in your private life. And the question is how you get that balance right. Exactly. Now, um it would just be interesting. It was one of the things that, you know, for example, talk about royal racism, that has an impact on the Commonwealth and on questions of independence sometimes from the Commonwealth. So it what happens in the family, private conversations can play out on a global political stage. It can have a legitimate impact, something that should be reported on. But one thing I want to ask you about this, Nigel, before we move on to Rishi, some of the comments in the paper are from an, sort of anonymous comments from childhood friends of Harry saying they know plenty. They know a field full of stuff about Prince Harry. They could write a book of their own. Now, although Harry's got every right as a private citizen to pick up his pen, the fact that he's broken the royal omerta, which all William and Harry's school school friends and, and adult friends have observed up to now, does that, in your view, make it more likely some of those friends who might know something more or different might themselves then break that silence because they'll consider that Harry's already broken it? Do you think this could actually backfire on him that other people now start speaking? Yes, they could well do. And there could be more stories coming out that Harry is actually not included in his book. Um, uh, and he, he won't be terribly happy to actually have those sort of things put in the public domain. I mean, Harry co- constantly went on about invasions of his privacy. And of course, he's done more to invade, invade his own privacy um, than anyone in the, in the, me- in the media has. The, one of the, the issues I think comes down to whether or not there is actually a reconciliation that could be possible. Now, uh, last night, Harry seemed to think that, yes, there could be. And he wants to sit down with the royal family in private and discuss how that might happen. And never tell people what was said. <laughs> no, and, the, and the idea would be we'd never hear about it. So <laughs> I, I think, again, we're, we're back now to um, how this family actually works. It rather depends on whether William and Charles want such a rec- uh, reconciliation. Um, it does seem to me that having put quite so much out there uh, quite so often, I mean, so far, Harry has broken the rules with opera, he's broken the rules with Netflix, uh, and now with, with, with the forthcoming book. It seems to be difficult how he can ever have a place back in the royal family ever again. But maybe Charles and William have a different idea and they would like to actually get him back. Um, only time will tell on that one. Yes, we'll have to wait and see, won't we? It's only May, the coronation, um, and there is apparently a standing open invitation for Harry and Meghan to attend, whether they'd fly in and fly out again or whether they'd go to the sandwiches and tea afterwards. Who knows? We'll have to find out. That would be interesting to watch, I'm sure. But now, uh, on to the rest of the front page and another allegations that are not going away about Rishi Sunak and private health care. Now, while the nation's health service is on its knees, as we all know, and ambulance workers are due out on strike on Wednesday, the Prime Minister keeps being asked 
annoyingly for him whether or not he uses a private doctor. Now, last night he was grilled by Laura Kunzberg, and one of the questions was whether or not he and his family had access to a private GP, which would cost about 250 quid a throw. And he refused to answer the question. Now, Nigel, it's very simple here. Why can't he answer that question? Well, he can, uh, and he certainly should. I mean, I mean, my own view is that if if somebody has got money, they're entitled to actually spend it, um, uh, it how they like. So, if you choose, say, private education, that's a matter for you. Um, I think Labour are right on that by saying, yeah, but the taxpayers shouldn't subsidise that choice. So, on that basis, then uh, private school shouldn't have. A charity uh, shouldn't have ch uh, have charitable yeah. status. Um, if you if you do choose to use private health, again, that is a matter for you. Um, and indeed, that when it comes down to Rishi Sunak's medical conditions, that should remain private, no matter who he is. But we're not talking about a medical condition here. We're talking about how he organises his own health care for himself and his family and he is the prime minister he is in the public eye it is a matter of public interest how that actually happens and we deserve to know whether or not he's using uh, uh, private health mostly because he's actually trying to um, uh, organize a, a policy for the NHS he had a big summit in Downing Street on Saturday uh, to see if he could come up with, with some solutions and I do remember Tony Blair getting in a pickle with this one. Uh, Tony Blair introduced a policy because he, whether he used a private doctor, I don't know. But Tony Blair certainly didn't sit in a GP surgery for a couple of hours waiting to see a doctor. He introduced a policy where, where a, a doctor's appointment could be, could be got within 48 hours. What Tony Blair didn't realise, because he didn't use the service was when the policy was introduced, you could only get a get a, an appointment within 48 hours. So if you had a minor condition, you wanted to see a doctor in two weeks' time, that wasn't possible. When uh, Tony Blair appeared on television, I think it was a question time, and, the, and people who did use the National Health Service told him, look, this is not how it works, and it's not working properly, he changed the policy. Now, Rishi Sunak's in the same kind of position. If he's not actually using the NHS, but he's coming up with policy about it, this will influence the decisions he makes. That's why we have a right to know whether or not he uses a private GP. Yeah, exactly. He can't hold out too long for that, will he? Mike says, good morning, Mike. He won't admit it, but obviously Rishi pays for private health care. Why would anyone put themselves through long delays for treatment, six hours in A&E, if they had the money to avoid it? But if he did experience those delays firsthand, maybe he'd be more sympathetic to providing the funding the service desperately needs. Um, now, Mike's right. Um, keep asking us your questions, everybody. What do you think about Rishi using private health care? Do you have a problem with it? Do you think it's absolutely fine? Or do you think it's a disgrace? Now, from my mind, Nigel, in a way, sort of just purely speaking from the, from the media perspective, it, Rishi could make a virtue of this in a way. You know, he's he's got a multi-million pound fortune of his own. He's married to a woman even richer than he is. And he could say, look, as prime minister on a, on a salary of 150 odd grand, I pay national insurance on that salary. I pay more national insurance than most people do on that salary. I pay again and to see a private GP. And that takes weight off the NHS. It frees up appointments for other people. He could say he could make a virtue of it. But 
it's the taxation thing that would trip him up on that, isn't it? Because he can hardly claim he's paying twice when we all know that his wife wasn't paying really what she should have done. No, no I think that probably uh, shows the naivety of Rishi Sunak. Um, I mean, when it was revealed that his, his wife had non-dom status and she changed it very quickly, it seemed astonishing that they hadn't thought about this. At the time when he was chancellor, he was in charge of the nation's purse strings, in charge of imposing taxes on the rest of us. And it should have occurred to him that if it was revealed that his wife uh, was not paying full uh, tax on British earnings, that would come back to to actually uh, to hit him in the gut. Um, and the same thing, I think, that think applies to this private GP thing. He needs to have thought about it. Now, it, it seems to me pretty clear. He obviously does have a private GP. If you're asked a question, yeah. do you use the NHS? Um, every politician I've ever known who does use the NHS has admitted that perfectly openly. So the fact he's being secretive about it makes me think, well, there's no question he has got private health care. And yes, you're absolutely right. You could make a virtue out of that. There's no reason why he shouldn't have private health care. He's a very rich man. Uh, his, his wife, as you say, is even richer. And he could argue um, that, yes, well, that, that will actually take the pressure off the health service if people who can afford to go privately did go privately. So it does seem to me a bit naive to be sitting there saying, well, I'm not going to answer the question, when in fact the answer it, it would not be too damaging to him at all. I don't see a problem why um, a prime minister shouldn't have money any more than I see a problem about a prime minister who's who's been on benefits coming in or, or whatever. And David Cameron used to say, I remember um, uh, talking to him about this at a Downing Street party, D David Cameron said, look, uh, yes, I'm rich. Uh, I've got plenty of money. I've had a lot of privileges. But why should my background disadvantage my career? Uh, I thought that was actually a perfectly fair response. And the public, I think, understand that these people come from differing backgrounds. All Rishi Sunak has to be is honest about it. Yeah, exactly. Um, now, Peter says the prime minister does have private health insurance. Uh, he doesn't want the NHS to succeed. Him and the Conservative government want to take us back to before 1948. Um, it, it's arguable, I suppose, that if someone's background makes them so wealthy, they don't have to use the NHS. That, as Nigel said, Peter, that the policies they make for the NHS, therefore, are going to be more likely to be illiterate than than others to some extent um now I, I if i was rishi i'd just be honest and say yes i do and i'm i'm trying my best or something but you know the fact that we, we none of us expect a prime minister to wait a long time for a gp appointment do we nigel because i mean you know when when boris johnson had covid he was getting immediate health advice from chris witty and, and patrick valance who were in the office at the time you know, we, we would expect someone who's a prime minister to be able to get a GP appointment very quickly because that has ramifications for the rest of us. But I just would have to hope that Rishi, who's got two young children, you know, there's not a parent in this country that hasn't had an A&E dash at some point. Uh, and if if woe betide Rishi, if he's got any kind of concerns for his children, he has to have a bit of a dash and it's not to A&E, but to a private hospital. Uh, and it happens to be on a strike day that would be a really, really bad look. And it, it, it wouldn't be terribly good, you know, if he has to use any kind of health care when the rest of the nation can't access their health care or people are dying. Well, they're already dying uh, in far greater numbers than they should be. 
Uh, people don't seem to notice. I don't know why, but um, the death rate's certainly up and it's not just all COVID, unfortunately. Now, thank you for taking through all that, Nigel. Uh, thank you for your comments, everybody. If you've got anything else you want to say about Rishi, and his private healthcare appointments, whether or not he does have them, whether or not you care, whether or not it matters to how the NHS works for the rest of us, let us know. And of course, Prince Harry and his allegations of racism and not racism. Is bias racist, whether it's unconscious or conscious? Who knows? Uh, do let us know. Get into the questions. But first off, we do have some good news. We found some in the world. And here it is. Now, tonight, there is a small step for Britain, but a huge step for Cornwall. And the first ever space launch from British soil takes place at Newquay Airport. A jumbo jet, which they, I don't think they've had in Cornwall before now, will fly to the edge of space, drop a rocket containing a bunch of satellites, may then head out into orbit and deploy for, among others, uh, US military intelligence and uh, Wales. Uh, which has a company that's made one of the satellites, apparently. So Wales is going into space too. Nigel, is this proof that Britain is finally ready to boldly go where loads of people have already gone before? Yeah, it certainly is. <laughs> and it is it is genuinely good news. I mean, um, I, I think that we've rather sort of shied away from the space race because it's so expensive. And of course, this is obviously a, a, a private operation. Um, but as we go forward through the century, of course, we've got to get involved in this. And so all this has got to be welcome tonight. Let's just hope the weather is actually good enough um, to get these satellites up there. That would be handy, wouldn't it? Um, now, it would, uh, there's also um, going to be a, a live stream apparently on YouTube. So you can watch. I think it's from nine o'clock tonight. So if you if you can't get to Newquay or you don't have a ticket for the launch, you too can watch a plane take off, which is what you'll see. No, no dramatic sort of you know, on a launch pad and taking off to space, just a plane taking off. But you can watch it live from nine o'clock on YouTube if you want. Mike says it takes longer to get to Cornwall than it takes to get to space. He has a point. Um, thank you. On that pithy remark, I think we'll end our broadcast for today. Thank you, Nigel, for coming in on your day off. Take take the rest of the, the morning for yourself. Um, thank you, everyone, for taking part. If you're listening to us on podcast, please leave us a review. Uh, thank you very much, everybody. We'll see you on Wednesday on the day of uh, ambulance strikes for probably some discussion about strikers, I would have thought. Till then, tatty bye. <laughs>